0: Pop Lab PopCast. I am Sam Tobias, your host, and today I have with me UT PhD student Ivan Martinez. Ivan, it's so awesome to have you today.
1: That's great to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: So we are also in the same program. How have you been liking it so far?
1: I've loved it. Um, You know, no program is perfect, and having to move across the country is definitely a major hurdle.
0: (laughs) Where did you move from?
1: I moved from Michigan, which is where I spent pretty much my whole life. So
0: it's a big difference, like... Everything. Yes,
1: huge difference. The weather, the like surrounding area. It's it's been crazy. It's been great.
0: Do you have like a, a preference so far of like climates or?
1: Oh, absolutely. Oh God, I hate <laughs> Michigan weather. It's it's atrocious. Uh, being able to see the sun consistently has totally turned
0: around my mood here in Texas. Uh, I love it here. Ah, I've never heard anything about the sun before. So <laughs> most Texans don't really like it.
1: <laughs> I mean, okay, it's hot. I get it, but uh, you don't know. You don't know seasonal depression until you have Michigan seasonal depression.
0: Fair, I'll give you that one. Um, but you know, you came from such a, a far place. What was your journey to UT?
1: Uh, my journey to UT was, uh, I mean, it was kind of crazy. Uh, Education-wise, I mean, it, it had all been Michigan, you know. Um, from high school to uh, undergrad to my master's, it was all at different schools inside of Michigan. I was born in Mexico, though, and uh, even though I moved to Michigan as young as four years old, mm-hmm. um, there was definitely a whole lot of, like, culture shock in Michigan that uh, I was constantly dealing with, and I didn't necessarily realize I was dealing with it. Um, mm-hmm. On a whim, because I started to uh, focus, uh, near the end of undergrad, early master's, I started to focus on comics as a primary interest of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, on a whim, an advisor of mine told me to look up Professor Aldama, and uh, I had not been planning on applying to Texas at all, but upon learning and reading about Uh, Aldama, I decided that this was someone worth uh, applying to a school for just for the ability to work with him. Yeah. Um, So I was like, whatever, I'm not going to get in anyway. Uh, (laughs) And then I applied and I got in and I came here because I I just wanted not only to work with such an incredible person, but also just moving to Texas closer to the border. Um, Mm. I mean, Texas has a reputation that's probably a lot more complicated as it deals with like the treatment of Mexicans um, than Michigan because Mm. there are just not that many mexicans in michigan um more complicated reputation sure but just the amount of mexicans here the amount of my people that i can see on the street (laughs) constantly it was it was a huge like world shifting uh change for me and so the ability to have that be my life for at least half a decade i mean that was a huge draw for me coming
0: to texas nice so what is it what has it felt like to be closer to like Mexico, and and to have more of that culture around you?
1: Well, I mean, it's it's been another kind of culture shock. I mean, again, raised in Michigan. Um, yeah. And like, I had my family, obviously, but it was just my sister, my parents, one aunt, and some cousins that I didn't see all that often. So I didn't have all that much of a Mexican culture. Um, you know, like many immigrants, I was raised to like stop speaking Spanish inside the house, you mm-hmm. have to learn English. Um, it's not that we didn't have our own Mexican culture within the home, it's just that it wasn't the only culture we had in the home and there mm-hmm. certainly wasn't any Mexican culture outside. Um, <laughs> so coming here and meeting all these, not just Mexicans, all these different kinds of Latinx people um, and realizing that like, you know, there is more to it than just being Mexican, which is what it was in Michigan. Now there are many different types of Mexican and. Mm-hmm add in all the different kinds of Latinx populations here. And it's just been interesting and difficult to uh, really understand where I fit and who I am and all that stuff. But it's been just so exciting and interesting. Um, I wouldn't trade it for anything coming here. It's been amazing.
0: Wow. So you, you have a really interesting story and a really interesting, I guess, new awakening of yourself. That's awesome. How does, if it does, this awakening tie into the kind of work that you do with with monsters and comics?
1: I mean, I think it has everything to do with it. Um, I mean, for one thing, comics is just such a fascinating medium. Um, Mm -hmm. I I often have wondered whether or not comics are just better, more accessible um, for writers and publishers of color. Um, I'm not always sure that that's true. but. I do think there's a certain level of um, there's a certain level of gatekeeping that happens in other fields and other mediums that mm-hmm. doesn't happen in comics because for better or for worse, often for worse, but for better or for worse, comics are still seen as lower art or just not uh, worthy of academic study, not worthy of taking seriously. It's children's literature, if anything, mm-hmm. if it's literature, um, is often how people talk about it, and I think what that means is that sometimes it's easier for a, a writer of color um, to get published as a comic than it is um, in other ways, or maybe at least to get published and then be read. Um, mm-hmm. I think there's an argument that that's true. That's been my experience. And I think that uh, making my way in, through academia where there's no comics department anywhere, um, there will not be uh, you know, the comics track in any program um, making my way, carving out my own space to study my own interest that is not catered to has been very similar to what it's like making my way, carving out my own space as a Mexican, where there is uh, often not a space, uh, certainly not in Michigan, a space made just for me and people like me. Um, so in that way, it's definitely mirrored that. But then it really dovetailed much further when I, once I got here. Um, I finally read, after years of putting it off, I really should have, I finally read... Um, Gloria Anzaldua's Borderlands La Frontera, and um, she started putting into words so many things that I had felt but not understood for so long, mm-hmm. uh, particularly this in-betweenness, um, this feeling of uh, being both but being neither, of not quite belonging, but of occupying multiple spaces, and the alienation that comes from that. And she uses the, the word alien and the metaphor alien constantly. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. One of my favorite works of hers is an unpublished poem called Alien, um, and and the way that she uses this idea, like uh, the United States government and others use the word alien to dehumanize us, um, but also it's a an appropriate metaphor for the way that we ourselves um, feel like we fit in, but don't at all times. Um, it it really speaks to these experiences and feelings that I've had as a Mexican in America, mm-hmm. and uh, it's not just aliens. You know, all monsters have this incredible complicated, messy, muddy history of being the symbol of uh, otherness, of bad, of the, you know, the the word monster comes from monstrum, which meant in Latin to demonstrate the wrath of God. So they would call um, children born with deformities monsters for that reason. It was a sign of God's anger. Um, That is the context under which people of color everywhere, but especially in American history, uh, were turned into monsters and used in the media to demonize them, to dehumanize them, picturing them as monsters, to then now we've gotten to a point where maybe it's more appealing to depict ourselves as such, not as a way to demonize or otherize ourselves, but as a way of explaining what it feels like to be demonized and explaining how perceptions of us color the way we're treated instead of who we actually are. and I think that the, the nuance and the muddiness and the complexity of that metaphor and all of its, all of its trappings and pit holes, all of that, uh, also its benefits, I think that's, I mean, not only is it super in line with what anzaldúa was writing about, um, but it's just such a perfect capturing of what it's like living here, mm-hmm. at least for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't help but be drawn to it and, you know, both at the same time, uh, all the time. <laughs>
0: Well, you're in Texas, right? Birthplace of Gloria Anzaldúa. Um, have you had a chance to go to her archives here at the Benson?
1: Just a little bit, yeah. yeah um, nice. I mean, being able to hold her notes, I had that unpublished poem, um, mm-hmm. Alien, uh, and her her process to it. I mean, it's it's really wonderful to see her work. I mean, she's like any other writer, um, a mm-hmm. complete mess.
0: <laughs> you gotta love it. <laughs> she's,
1: got, she's got notes everywhere. She cut out parts that I imagined she didn't like, or maybe she transposed it and taped it further up. Further. Um, the pages are not like printer pages. They're really long, too long, and they have to be folded to be fitting in the in the folders. I mean, it's just amazing to see her work process.
0: Yeah, that, I feel like having that here is so amazing. And, and as you're talking, like I'm thinking of the concept of ni de aquí ni de allá, right? You're not from here and you're not from there. So like amazing to hear like there's other scholars who are doing the work, bringing Anzalduin concepts into comics, um, and so could you speak a little bit more on like how you're using Anzaldúa to talk about comics? Yeah,
1: well, I mean, I can never get too far into this topic without bringing up um, my favorite comic. Uh,
0: that's why. yep, yeah. that's why I
1: brought it up. <laughs> Emile Ferris's My Favorite Thing is Monsters is mm-hmm. this unbelievable comic. It's, it's massive and dense. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes you'll get these massive comics that have very few words on each page. That is not what this is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is uh, one of the most, one of the heaviest and most dense uh, works I've ever read, but it is just chock full of incredible stuff. And the whole book is um, from the perspective of this little girl's diary. She's drawing a diary and drawing herself as a monster. And she sees herself as a monster as a good thing. Um, She thinks that being boring is bad. Being not a monster is boring. And that being uh, a normal person is to persecute and and hate those who are interesting and different and unique um, just for the sake of them being different. And so she pictures herself as a monster willingly and those around her and those she cares about, uh, but it's a good thing in her eyes. And it, it delves into all the great nuance of the metaphor and all the pitfalls and addresses all of these horrible um, interwoven histories of caricature, racist caricature that go into stuff like this. Um, but it also as a comic engages in some of the more interesting uh, and less talked about things that uh, come into play when you're talking about these things in a comic. And uh, mostly, I mean, it's hard not to think of Anzaldua's use of borderlands um, and the way that comics transition from panel to panel over the border of the gutter. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that the communication that happens between panels in comics is the most interesting thing about the medium. uh, And it's the most fertile ground the most untapped ground, at least, um, for thinking not just about monsters, but also about Anzaldu and links to comics. Um, I don't know that I could do this topic justice with, in the non-visual <laughs> medium. Um, yeah. But I mean, the way that transitions um, in in a standard four panel comic, you know, in the way transitions from one image to another, mm-hmm. communicate things as fascinating as is. But when you get into works like my favorite thing is monsters that are not traditional, you know, six or eight panels per page comics. They're more uh, free range. Sometimes they have panels, sometimes they don't. Images bleed into each other. Mm -hmm. The lack of a border um, Mm -hmm. does not mean there are none in comics like these. Mm -hmm. And so it further muddies uh, what exactly a gutter is. It further muddies this idea of communication through a lack. Um, and I think that that fits right in with the muddiness of Anzaldua's Borderlands ideas, you know. Um, these are still ideas in formation. I mean, mm-hmm. if I were to, uh, you know, dedicate the time and effort that I want to into this, um, I think that there's a lot of fascinating conclusions that we could reach in this. But at the moment, um, all I can say is that this is a story about a young mixed race uh, girl who is using monsters and the medium of comics to tell complex story about race and identity and sexuality and gender and all these incredible topics. Um, and I've just not seen the kind of work that you'd expect to see from some such a great um piece of literature. Um, I've not seen the work you'd expect done in scholarship yet. Um, so this is like the whole focus. Everything I do kind of ends up tying back to this one way or another. Um, and the sequel that should allegedly be coming out soon. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I'm sure you're excited for that. Like, I have the, the comic, it's sitting there and it's on my TBR. Um, but it's so interesting to hear you talk about like this blending of borders and the muddiness and, and, you know, would you say that it's kind of doing the work of, of reclamation of the monster? Like,
1: I think it does in a lot of ways, but the reclamation of the monster is a dicey proposition Mm -hmm. that I don't know that anyone fully subscribes to. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, there is this history in America and elsewhere, but Mm -hmm. in talking about what we know in American history, Mm -hmm. the interwoven histories of monsters and racist caricature, Mm -hmm. um, they're hard to overcome. And it's not the kind of thing that you can invoke broadly without, you know, disclaimers. to say that you're reclaiming the monster, I think, is to make the kind of blanket statement that not only um, can get you into trouble, but also the kind of blanket statement that Anzaldua's theories herself kind of disavow. Um, Anzaldua really relishes the the muddy contradictions and mm-hmm. all of this in-betweenness that you cannot, that does not allow certainty. Um, she embraces it. And I think that making a blanket statement like we're reclaiming the monster um, is not quite in line with the goals Vanzaldua's theories, surely, but also not the goals of the work itself. The, there are parts of the story where she talks about, well, the real monsters are the people who hate and kill and, you know, all yeah. of that. Um, there is a concession that the term monster has multiple definitions and it's complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, and partially because the point of view is a child, but also, I mean, she's got very nuanced understandings of these topics. Um, is, there's a, a, a purposeful uh, acknowledgement that these terms can conflict and that that's not a problem. Um, She views herself as a monster at the same time that she's calling others the the real harmful, dangerous monsters. Um, And she doesn't really see a problem with that. She doesn't stop drawing herself as a monster after she concedes that point. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't really know what the book might continue to say about this in the sequel. And this this is the biggest thing. Um, There's a whole second book that has been promised since 2019 and allegedly is finally coming out in 2024 um, that could totally change how I and we think and see this book. Um, But at the same time as a standalone text, it's already given so much to this idea of to what degree can you reclaim monstrosity? Um, And I think that the the, the tentative conclusion it's reached is that you can absolutely use the monster um, and your own monstrosity as a way for self-understanding, as a, a path to self-love and self-understanding. Um, but that you must also, w- with that comes an, a necessary understanding of history and context um, that goes along with monstrosity. You can never reclaim it permanently. There's a history that far out, uh, out <laughs> outpaces you in that sense. You will never be able to uh, rival the history of racist caricature that drags it down, but you don't need to avoid using it because of that you know i think that's what the text is saying Hmm. um short of reclamation but something maybe even more interesting i think
0: yeah that's a lot to think about right and i'm thinking of like in comic studies the the graphic novels and comics that we do continue to write about right um you mentioned that there's not a lot of scholarship on this book and i'm i'm starting to wonder like why it sounds like it's worthy all comics are worthy of maybe not all comics (laughs) (laughs) a lot of comics are worthy of of, like studies so you know it's really cool to see that you're you're gonna be one of the the ones at the forefront of this it sounds like um regardless of what happens with the sequel um and when that one comes out um I know we've had this conversation before but what do you think sets my favorite things are monsters apart from like fun home or mouse like why do you think that we teach those two more than say this one?
1: Oh man i mean that's a complicated question there's a lot of answers i could give and mm-hmm. the, the one i think you have to start with is just that mouse won the pulitzer mm-hmm. um, which is a great thing that everyone should celebrate for many mm-hmm. reasons but what it did i think um in addition to giving an opening to educators teaching comics in places that previously had been cordoned off to comics in addition to giving us that opening it also entrenched us in a frustrating um uh, pattern of justifying mm-hmm. your uh, your choice of including a comic in your syllabus and then pointing to mouse as the justification you say well this isn't mouse but it is also a graphic memoir it is also a nonfiction text that deals with an important issue and often not that this is necessarily a bad thing but often the only times it's not bad that it happens it's bad that it's the only time you encounter a comic often you'll only encounter comics in higher education when it is checking off multiple boxes oh well we get to teach this new interesting mode oh and also look we did the minority category oh, yeah. we checked off the box of talking about lgbt issues with fun home we talked mm-hmm. about uh, religious issues with mouse we talked about racial issues i mean it's it's mm-hmm. it's great that these texts are being taught and they should be taught at least as often if not more, as they are already being taught. But Mm -hmm. we need to be teaching other comics too. There is a value that lies in the medium, Mm -hmm. not just the topics of these comics, that needs to be taught and embraced. And I think that my favorite thing is Monsters, though it is being taught, I only know about it because it was taught in an undergrad class, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's not being taught as as much as it should be because it's fiction. Um, Mm -hmm. If you're lucky enough to be in a program that has a class on comics, not all programs do
0: yeah
1: if you're lucky enough to be in a program that has a class on comics um it'll likely be taught because it is a fantastic text it is i mean well i mean remember we're talking about comics which really only took off in the last half century so it's going to be um contemporary no matter what but the most contemporary last 10 years that's what uh my favorite thing is monsters is so it'll definitely be taught if for no other reason than it is one of the greatest uh works of the last 10 years and it does a lot of interesting things that aren't present in all comics, like its lack of borders on every page Mm. and um, its unique art style. It all looks like uh, uh, colored pencil drawings of a child um, with incredible talent, but still a child. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's it's going to be taught for a handful of incredible reasons, but it's only going to get taught in those classes that are dedicated to comics because ultimately it's fiction. Um, Mm. You can't do the whole, oh, well, it checks off the minority thing as convincingly if it's fiction um, and oftentimes if you are checking it off uh, as the minority uh, book while also doing a comic um, it's just easier to ask students to um, buy a fun home which has been reprinted so many times mm-hmm. and you can pick up for eight dollars um, yeah. my favorite thing is monsters one of the only valid reasons I can think not to teach it is it's expensive yeah. Is a very large book it is, and it deserves yeah. to be as expensive as it is because the work that goes into it is insane. Oh, yeah. Um, but it's a genuine barrier to education. So I understand why you might not teach it on that front. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, we have to do better. There are just so many classes. Okay, if you're teaching a Shakespeare class, you're not going to teach a comic. I get that. I wouldn't. I know they've made comic adaptations of Shakespeare, but if I was teaching a class on Shakespeare, I wouldn't teach it. No. Um, I I see the arguments for, Mm -hmm. but I can definitely understand why you wouldn't teach a comic there. When it comes to teaching a class on topics that do not preclude comics though, I don't care who you are. You need to have one comic at least in there. Um, I mean, I think as a a discipline in English and literature, we've more or less accepted that it doesn't matter what your specialty is. You should probably teach a poem or two if you are doing an intro to lit class. Mm-hmm. Um, you should teach a autobiographical thing at some point. You know There mm-hmm. are all these mediums and genres that we have agreed you should teach one or two of them at some point no matter what your specialty is because otherwise you'd be depriving students of exposure to these important fields and genres. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're not there yet with comics and I think that's a problem. Yeah. Um, we are, for better or for worse, the most powerful institution academia is for changing cultural opinions on the value of comics Mm -hmm. if we teach just one comic in every class that is not by definition precluding them that'll have a massive impact and especially if we can start teaching that one comic as something other than fun home persepolis mouse Mm -hmm. if we can get to the fiction ones if we can start including maybe Marvel or a DC here we say okay there are certainly different kinds of comics out there Mm -hmm. and I need you to divorce the idea that a brand or a medium or a genre will inherently be of a certain quality if we can get to that point where people start to understand and uh, value things based on their merit not on their logo or on their genre or medium Mm -hmm. um, then I think that'll be a place where we can start putting my favorite thing as monsters where it needs to be. Um, that's where we can start talking about it as much as we should be. And while we can do so now with what we can, I mean, I'm certainly thinking about teaching a class on monsters um, mm, and mm. that would be a class that I could teach regardless of you know <laughs> anything else. That is a, the perfect class for my favorite thing is monsters. Yeah. Um, but we're not gonna get that truly a part of the canon the way it deserves to be um, until we start including comics everywhere, not just where it's meant to be, quote unquote.
0: Mm. Dang, hey, you give me a lot to think about there.
1: Yeah, I don't know how to shut up sometimes.
0: <laughs> no, this is excellent. Like, I'm, I'm curious. Like, you have so much knowledge on, on the these topics. Like, are you working on any fun projects right now?
1: Oh man, I mean, I'm working on a million things at once. Am I putting words to paper on any of them? Uh, that's... that's
0: always the hardest part. Absolutely. <laughs>
1: um, I mean. Really what yeah. I'm working on right now is, um, I'm thinking of ways to teach. Um, I wanna be a teacher, and I think yeah. it, it makes sense, but not everyone who gets a PhD in literature wants to be a teacher. teacher yeah. um, this is my main goal. I don't really care about changing the way um, that we conceptualize on a theoretical level literature. I think I'm, I would like to write some of that stuff someday, mm-hmm. um, and I definitely have an interest, um, as, I sh- as I should on a professional level, but really, my interest is in making a difference um, on the ground. I want to mm. be that teacher and teach that class that changes how students um, understand themselves and the world around them. Mm. I thought I hated reading until I was nineteen years old. Mm. I am getting a PhD in literature, but for over the first, you know, eighty percent of my life, I thought I hated reading, and it was entirely because of the way school was. Um, the way the school system is more, especially in Mm K-12, it's more about teaching you how to follow rules and physically be where you're told to um, more than it is about learning. Mm -hmm. Um, That turned me off entirely, but also just the way that reading was put into a box. So was Mm -hmm. writing. You have to, it has to be like this, it has to be, uh, this is what good means and this Mm -hmm. is what uh, acceptable is. It wasn't until I took an undergrad gen ed course, mind you, I started as a journalism major of all things. Um, It wasn't until I took a gen ed course on literature uh, on the Gothic that I started to realize um, that I had interest in this field. And also when I read my very first ever comic, this is what I'm talking about. This was a class on the gothic. It was a gen ed course, but it taught a comic.
0: What was the comic?
1: It was uh, David Small's Stitches. Um, Oh, okay. And now, certainly, it falls into that trap we're talking about of this is a graphic memoir. Mm -hmm. Um, But also, I mean, it's maybe today, six or eight years later, it's a little more in the canon than it was. But back then, it wasn't canon the way fun home and uh, mouse are mm-hmm. and also I mean it was a Detroit native uh, who wrote it and we were oh. learning it in Michigan so there's that <laughs> there's
0: that um, connection
1: yeah but this was this was the turning point for me this was being assigned an incredible comic and it wasn't being taught because it was a comic mm-hmm. yep. it wasn't it's a it's a disability story it was not being told because it was a disability story it was being taught as a gothic text in a gothic class and The fact that it was a comic was almost not mentioned he gave us my teacher uh stephen arch great great professor uh dr arch gave us a quick spin a quick spin through mcleod and understanding comics um so that we could have a, a chance in hell of engaging with a comic um in an academic setting because again the vast majority of us had never done so yeah um but that was it and and then and then from there we just went and ate sparked something in me. I didn't switch majors for a year after that. I didn't realize comics was a major interest of mine for several years after that. But it, it was the beginning to it all. And that is what I'm working on. I'm working on being that teacher and designing those classes. I don't want uh, my time in this field to be defined by what I wrote. Um, mm-hmm. Not primarily. Mm-hmm. I want it to be defined by who I helped and what I taught. Um, and the way I taught, because I think that the way you teach is so, um, overlooked as like a part of the field, Mm -hmm. how you teach, what your pedagogy is. Um, and it may not directly sound like it has to do with monsters and Anzaldua, but it has everything to do with it. Um, when you occupy these in-between spaces, like Anzaldua describes, um, these fixed places, like a classroom, um, become a challenge. And you don't even know if you belong or not. You don't even know if you feel like you don't belong. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't realize, literally until I came to visit UT, I did not realize just how much I had been affected by the fact that all my life, classrooms had been devoid of people like me. I had never seen uh, multiple people who looked like me in a classroom. Um, That's not to say there's no diversity in Michigan, certainly, but at MSU specifically, there were large populations from Asia and China specifically, Um, we had a lot of international students from China there, and we had a, a, a fairly large black population. I don't wanna say huge, it was still predominantly white as is Michigan, but there were definitely opportunities to be in classrooms that did not feel majority white, but it was never a classroom that had people like me. It was never Latinx or Mexicans in there. And I never realized just how much my learning had been affected by that and by the fact that no one even thought to mention it, Um, including things like this in your pedagogy and just acknowledging that there are people in your classroom who are not like everyone else, um, giving them space and giving them the room to uh, work through that and understand that. I mean, that's huge and it's hard and I get that. Uh, We all know like being the white teacher who says, um, you know, raise your hand if you've ever felt discrimination uh, Everyone take a step back for every unprivileged experience you've had. And then we'll see, we'll open our eyes at the end and see just where everyone is in the room. Like there, there are ways to mess it up. Yeah. It's, it's hard and it can be traumatic. And oh, yeah. the fear of traumatizing your students and however small a way or however huge a way, that's a very valid fear that can, I understand why, keep teachers from trying. But when you don't even try, I mean it leaves a massive impact i went 18 years of my life not knowing i liked reading i went 22 years of my life not knowing that i was being affected by having no one like me around me um and these i mean i happened to be in a gen ed class on the gothic that taught a comic i happened to hear from a professor about Dr. Aldama, which made me happen to apply to UT. How many changes to my life would have been necessary to me for me to have never decided on this path, for me to be in somewhere completely different? I don't think it's that many. I think that if it took teachers impacting my life to put me where I am, I think that maybe, maybe, there were five teachers in my life who had the potential to do that. And only two of them did. And I don't like those odds. I don't. I hate to think about how many people in this world right now are not where they'd like to be. And they don't even know it because they didn't have those teachers in their lives. Um, now there are other people and other things in life that can set you on your course, I get that. But I don't think we as teachers think enough about the difference that we can have just culturally and institutionally, mm-hmm. the role that a teacher plays in people's lives is huge. And the times in people's lives that we are playing those roles are pivotal. Mm-hmm. I I would have liked to have had way more than maybe five teachers who had that power. You know, yeah. I would have loved if Every teacher I ever had could have and did impact my life that way. I don't know that we'll ever get that far, but there needs to be more. And that's mm-hmm. what I'm doing. I'm focusing all of my effort right now on how I'm going to teach and yes, it's absolutely about monsters and (laughs) and all of this stuff that I've been talking about. It's all the same thing but I'm putting primarily at the front the teaching because that is I think the most overlooked part of our field. And I think that that's the part that I can best make a difference. in everything i mean i I want to make a difference in how the world sees comics i think i can do that as a teacher i want to make a difference in people's lives i think i can do that as a teacher and i want to make an impact in how we're thinking about identities racial gender sexuality all these i want to make an impact in how we think about these and how we treat people based on these things and i think i can do that best as a teacher so when i think when i talk about am i working on any projects i mean like i'm working on a million and i'm working on none but all of it to whatever extent it's happening it's always towards this goal of being that teacher
0: i think i'd be very lucky to have you as a teacher <laughs> like I'm, I'm thinking like you're talking and i'm thinking about like my own experiences right and i was like i wasn't exposed to latinx literature until i was in college i wasn't exposed to Ansaldúa until i was in college and it was a white professor who took me to Ansaldúa. yeah me same for me work. too <laughs> so you know i'm forever grateful to that professor for introducing me into that world that like opened up like the journey of like oh my god this is what I've been feeling my whole life in a book right um, and you know you are absolutely correct like teachers have so much of an impact and it's it's wonderful to hear that that is your your goal and what you want to dedicate your career to like I think any of your students all of your students are gonna be super lucky to have a appreciate it. <laughs> so this might open a can of worms here, um, but do you have like any books or TV shows that you are reading or watching or that you're excited for?
1: Um, yeah, in, in the interest of not talking about this for the rest of the day, uh, <laughs> I'll just, I'll, I want to talk about a specific kind of show that um, I love, a specific kind of media, and that's just, I mean, I, I love bad media like and like i don't mean that in the way people mean like trashy reality tv show not that there's not merit to that i totally get it um but when i say that i like bad media i like really cheesy ambitious (laughs) passion project, silly and and like low tier what people would call low art media i love i gotta stop moving around (laughs) (laughs) i love shows like uh, I mean, I grew up with a, a lot of great examples of these, like Digimon and Yu-Gi-Oh! Oh, yeah. um, these shows that are just absurd and <laughs> and live in, in the most fantastical of realities um, where the rule of cool matters more than logic. Um, when you're trying to get at these deep themes, but you're also trying to entertain children, so you're, you're, you know, you've got these big monsters or these giant stakes, you're getting sent to the shadow realm. Um, <laughs> And you're still trying to circle back into these deep themes that you want to write about. Um, Or maybe they're not deep themes. Maybe you just want to write about friendship. (laughs) You just want to write about monsters and friendship and how uh, if you believe you will be able to take down the big bad monster. But you still have to do, you know, all the things that go into making a show, all the things that get you greenlit for more. Mm -hmm. um, And you get this really specific creative problem as a writer where you have to find a way to write that, right? The thing that is all of that. Um, and sometimes, you know, you're going down, you have to lose weight. So you, sure. you drop out things that aren't vital and sometimes the plot suffers or sometimes certain characters are underdeveloped and it shows. And if, that's why I call it bad media. I mean, there are mm-hmm. things about the show that are certainly going to keep them from being taught in universities. You know, that's that's fine. We don't need that. But I, I struggle to imagine that all of the incredible texts that we study, that we do mm-hmm. study, in university and those that we don't, but we should, I struggle to imagine that the people who created them weren't inspired by these kinds of works, that these bad texts, these imperfect, incomplete texts that nonetheless dug deep and really, really went all in. Um, There's this show. It started as a web show. Now I'd call it something more than that, um, that I love called Ruby. And it is flawed to all hell. It is imperfect. And uh, cheesy at times and really just hard to swallow for a lot of people, Um, especially the early seasons are visually just a train wreck. Um, But that's my favorite thing about them and the story behind it. The person and people responsible for creating this show, when asked about the first few seasons that just look like garbage compared to the new stuff, um, they were asked, well why is it like this? Surely you could have fixed it. Surely you, someone so talented at animation, knew that this was a problem, and they always respond with pretty much the same thing, which is that, well, yeah, but if we waited until it was good enough or perfect, we never would have made the thing. Mm -hmm. And now eight seasons in, the animation is as good as anything you'll ever see. It's one of the best works of 3D animation I've ever seen by the time you get to season nine.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, Again, I would never teach this show because that's just not what it's for, Mm
0: -hmm. you know?
1: I can't think of a work that inspires me more, Um, not even necessarily to write about monsters or race or anything (laughs) like that. It just inspires me to create, which is what this is all about at the end. Mm -hmm. Um, It's stuff like this. And I, I think that we should lower the gates and be allowed to teach anything and everything, anything that we can find value in, we should be teaching. But we also shouldn't value things based on whether or not they're being taught. Mm-hmm. And I think works like these, Yu-Gi-Oh!, Pokemon, Digimon, Ruby. I mean, these are, these are shows that inspire the love that goes underneath all of this, everything that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I'm asked about, like, a favorite show right now, this is what I come back to, not because it's the best thing I'm seeing, but it's because this is what I'm always going to come back to. This is the exciting stuff. This is why I do what I do. And I, I'm glad that I got the opportunity to talk about this because I think a lot of people... With these works that fill similar roles in their lives, they don't talk about them because they're ashamed or they don't think they should. They should talk about the better stuff. Um, and I wanna say, don't do that. But well,
0: what does that mean, right? Like, what is better? What is, what better? is better?
1: Exactly <laughs> right. But you know what? As long as we're asking the question, what is better, based on what we're being told by society instead of what our own values are, that's when you have to stop listening to that voice, you know? Um, once you are comfortable with your own definition of better, and if you feel like explaining that definition to the people, around you then yeah go for it but while you're still working on it it took me years it took me years to get there while you're still working on it don't worry about better just focus on what it is that is getting you moving and getting you talking and uh, and I think that if we could all learn to do that I think this would be a much better world
0: I feel inspired Well, Ivan, it's been wonderful talking to you. Do you have any final thoughts? Anything you want to leave our audience with today?
1: Uh, yeah. I, if, uh, my final thought, and what I hope everyone's take away from this is, is uh, don't worry about preconceptions, rules, and borders. Don't worry about that stuff. Uh, do what you think needs to be done. Do what you want to do. And uh, figure out the rest. And answer the anger emails. And respond to the criticisms uh, at your leisure. The first and... Only priority for you needs to be doing what matters.
0: Thank you for that.